us pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I want to make sure that I don't have any spiders back here. That was very interesting. Usually I tear out of here when I see a spider, but I, I, I didn't do that this time. Um, we'll be talking about Genesis chapter 24 in a moment, but before we do, I would like to start this sermon with a personal history. In my home, I have to-do lists. We sometimes call them honey-do lists. They stare me in the face, and they silently ask me, if not now, when? Heather, my lovely lady, gets so frustrated with my procrastination, especially the task of moving the refrigerator from the wall for cleaning. Eventually, I get to them. My point is that, as a husband, it is for the love of my wife that I do these tasks and enjoy a sense of accomplishment when finishing these tasks. I must tell you, though, my experience in understanding this has not always been crystal clear. After high school, I went into the service because we were poor, and it seemed the right thing to do to get some money and some education. When I was in the service, I got to meet many men who had a bunch of stripes on their sleeves and loved, just loved, to shout at me. <laughs> and they loved to give you work, lots of work. Some of those works were mundane, but all were to instill in me a sense of ownership in that task. Usually it was a test from my sergeant on whether I could follow simple instructions. Sadly to say, in my early years in the service, I could not. <laughs> I don't think it was because I didn't have a brain. It was because I wasn't motivated properly. As I grew in my journey in the military, I quickly found that in doing tasks and doing them well gives you perks or privileges, wonderful privileges like not having kitchen duty so many days in a row, peeling hundreds of potatoes, or cleaning out the toilet bowls. As I grew older, I began to experience a healthier motivation for me than looking for perks. I now was determined to meet my obligations to complete any assigned task, no matter what it was, to the best of my ability. It was an obedience to a higher authority and a sense of accomplishment that seemed to be moving me forward. Now, let's move to the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. We see in chapter 24, Abraham getting older and his concern is to ensure the next generation, per God's promise, is put into motion. He assigns a task to his senior servant to find a wife for Isaac. This task is of monumental importance in that if accomplished correctly would fulfill a divine covenant by God to bless Abraham with many descendants. God had promised in chapter 12 to make from Abraham a great nation. But to accomplish that promise, Abraham needs to find a son, 
Isaac a wife. Here we see Abraham as a true man of faith. He grew in trusting in Yahweh. His trust in faith was tested when told to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Abraham knew that the choice of a proper wife did not depend on his servant, but on God. He knew God would lead the servant. He knew God's choice was coming. He knew that God's promise would be fulfilled. In my younger years, I depended on snap judgments and choices that were suspect and eventually were of little or no value. We we have all been there. It is a stage in life where we rebel and think we know everything, have seen everything, have done everything. It's a time where we make our own choices, like what clothes to wear, what hairstyles to show off, and what friends to hang out with. As I remember my hideous bell bottoms, <laughs> or listening to wonderful Beach Boy songs and wearing puka shells, uh, I could see that I had made some wrong choices. <laughs> God needs to be in the equation of those choices. In my growing up years, I did not turn to him for guidance. I was foolish in those days and placed my, my faith on the back burner. Faith, faith is not foolishness. Faith, again, is not foolishness. God needs to be relied on to make the right choice or choices for us in times of need. My spiritual immaturity was evident and many of my decisions were not what God would have approved for me. In Abraham's day, God was leading Abraham in all the details of his life. There were not many decisions that Abraham needed to do by himself because God was in charge. Abraham learned this valuable lesson. He needed to grow into it. We need to also recognize this lesson and grow into it. Abraham's servant travels to find a wife for Isaac. He takes an oath that is differently than the oath we would take today. The oath is an affirmation by the servant, and off he goes to Mesopotamia. The servant's task is clear, but he is still unsure of himself on how to proceed, so how he can complete the task. But Abraham, again, knows all will be well because God has promised that through his son Isaac, he is going to bring a blessing into the world. Like most of us, we want to embrace what God wants in our lives. Faith is always reasonable. It is not a gamble. It is a sure thing. I think most of us know who Dale Carnegie is. He had a, an interview with Henry Ford. And he asked Henry, um, are you worried about the future at all? And Henry was around, I don't know, 78, 80 years old. And Henry said, no. I believe God is managing affairs, and he doesn't need any advice from me. With God in charge, I believe that everything will work out for the best in the end. So what is there to worry about? Today I am before all of you doing my first sermon and I want to do it right. I have the confidence of God and the Holy Spirit, but there is still that little sense of doubt that flutters inside. I would love to be as sure as Abraham. I know that through responsible preparation and instruction, 
I will be acting upon the word of God and preaching and teaching his word to you. Abraham's servant did exactly what I did before coming today before you. And that was the power of prayer. I prayed to God to grant me success today. My need was to do well. God wants us to bring our needs to him. But he has to be the one to determine how he will answer our prayers. God knows what will happen next. God knows what is going on. All the hows, whens, and whys. When you do not know what to do or what will happen next, trust that he does. I am certain that God has never had a moment where he said, boy, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Our trust and faith in him in all that we do is a spiritual journey that both Abraham and the servant are experiencing. God's strength is sometimes unrecognized by us. It's a strength, it's a growth in faith. Simply put, to grow in faith means to grow spiritually. It is to be mature to both knowledge of God and godly living. Ultimately, it is to become more like Christ. Just as a person grows physically from infant to mature adult, a Christian's life is designed to grow spiritually from baby to mature Christian. St. Paul noted that Abraham's belief was unhampered by the fact that he was almost 100 years old. He was not weak in faith. He was strong in faith. Faith is a deep conviction that God's words are true and that God would perform all that he promises. Abraham, Abraham's servant, has finally reached the well outside the city and begins to pray for God. It was the custom of the time that women go out to draw the water. The servant waited because it was not the proper thing for him, as a stranger, to water the camels before the others who lived in the community. He prays to God and gives him requirements of the perfect wife for Isaac. He is depending on God to choose that perfect wife. And before he finishes his prayer, Rebecca appears. She is a beauty and offers the servant a drink and without hesitation begins to water the ten camels that came on the journey. Um, now, I have never watered a camel, <laughs> but I understand it is like pouring water into an empty car radiator. That's how much they drink. And we're not talking about a big car. Or are we talking about a big car? I guess it depends on the camel. We're definitely not talking about a Prius. The servant is so amazed that you can knock him down with a feather because God's choice was exactly, exactly what he needed. This was God's providence. And God knew what was required before the prayer was ever completed. God is the focal point of this story. God has done all the heavy lifting for Abraham's servant and has provided the answers to his prayers. God is with us and able to give us strength no matter what we go through. He does not promise that we will not face difficulties or fear. He does promise that he will be there and he will help us get through it. The servant in our story is overjoyed. Their servant is taken to Rebecca's home for food and to stable those camels. The servant is an example for us as we seek to serve the Lord. Notice that the servant was so anxious to finish this task, his mission, that he cared nothing for food. 
The hospitality of the home was great, but he had a job to do for his master, and everything else needed to work. Notice also that the servant's name is never given. In a spiritual sense, the servant is a picture of the Holy Spirit, whose work is to bring the lost to Christ and thus make up his bride. In the Old Testament, there were no checklists that I could find, but there was, it would sound something like this. The servant reviews his to-do list on his clay tablet. He has found a wife for Isaac. Check. He has fulfilled his task to his master Abraham and his master's son Isaac. Check. Last but not least, and most importantly, he has been faithful to God and has praised him for the choice he has made. Check. What a noteworthy, what is very noteworthy is that the servant knew how to trust in the leading of the Lord. So Rebecca decides to travel back to see her bridegroom with complete faith. Now I must share with you, I, before I got here, I listened to a, um, a sermon f- from a bishop on YouTube. Uh, his name is Robert Barron, a, a very good, I think, bishop. And he was talking about a hero's journey. Now most of us, I think, are familiar with Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. And what we find in the book of the Lord of the Rings, <clears throat> if you remember how the Hobbit opens with Bilbo Baggin, sitting back is a little Hobbit hole, very relaxed, very comfortable, very, very easy. It's a beautiful day and he's going to relax. And all of a sudden, he's invaded. He, his home is invaded by all these dwarves and, and this big giant guy named Gandalf. And they all want to grab him and take him for an adventure. He has no idea about the adventure. He has no idea where they're going. He has no idea what they're talking about. Rebecca's like that, isn't she? She is not a hero. She's a heroine. She has taken that leap forward in faith. Has she seen Isaac? No. Does she know anything about Isaac? Only what the servant has told her. But what she saw and heard from the servant convinced her that she must go. Similarly, when we connect the dots, the Spirit speaks and shows us the things of Christ sufficient for us to make a right decision, sufficient enough for us to follow. I will go, is the response of Rebecca. I will go. She doesn't waste any time. She doesn't beat around the bush or hesitate. We cannot but help admire her decision. Rebecca, by her decision, I will go, changed her life. From being a servant to being a bride. From the loneliness of the world to the joy of love and companionship. From her poverty to Isaac's wealth and much more. I remember when I was called by the Lord to pursue my service to the church. It basically boiled down to four words. The first two words was from the Lord, I heard. Follow me. My simple response was, I go. I didn't hesitate. I jumped at the order and knew that my trust was in the Lord. Rebecca's faith was rewarded. She became an important part of God's plan. In our story of Abraham, we have this marvelous picture of the relationship of Christ and the church. 
Can we see the connection of Abraham, the father, to God, the father? Isaac, the son, to Jesus, the son? The servant who serves to the Holy Spirit? And finally, Rebecca, the bride, and the church being the bride? The New Testament speaks of the church being the bride of Christ. We read it in the book of Revelation, the promise of a final reunion between Jesus and his bride, the church. The final words in the story is, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Isaac had taken Rebekah at his bride. Rebekah, the bride, had been saved from a previous life and has come to the son. This reveals to us that Christ gains a great deal in our salvation. He wants us. He longs for us. Have you ever noticed that the men who the Lord Jesus called to be his disciples made the same instant decision as Rebecca? They left their nets and followed him. There was no hesitation. There is no 10-day waiting period. They followed him. They went with him. As Christians, the story emphasizes a few points. Here's my checklist. We must want God's will. We must pray and seek his guidance. We must be willing to obey. And we must be alert to what God is doing and trust in his choice. Okay, here's our conclusion. So what is our takeaway from this story? I think faith in God helps us through the choices of life would be one takeaway. We need the Lord as we go through our lives. This is more than an Old Testament love story. It can be our love story, too, if we open our hearts and trust Jesus and say, I will go. Amen.